let's go ahead and get ready to pick up where we were before. We're going to start here um, with the reading of the word. We are in Psalms 27 for those of us who are joining, those of who are listening for the first time. We praise the Lord because the work of the Lord is spreading even around the world. So we thank God for the opportunity. These sessions, brothers and sisters, when we are done with them, Lord, we also, when we, we, we post them as well. And there are people from around the world that are actually listening to and hearing the word of God. So God is adding much growth. God is blessing. The word of God says this in the book of Psalms, chapter 27, starting at verse number one, Psalm of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. <clears throat> One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Amen. Praise the Lord. We thank the Lord for his goodness. We thank him for his, uh, for his mercy. We thank him because God knows exactly what we need. He knows where we need it and he knows how best to provide it. So uh, we thank the Lord for all of that, all as many blessings that he shares with us and on a continual basis. Last week, um, we talked about a number of things. So we've been dealing with characteristics of godly goals. And we're about the third lesson into this kind of a sub-series, really, um, if you think about it within the larger context, because we are studying the entire book of Psalms 27, or the, the entire number, I should say, um, of Psalms 27. But we're taking it uh, verse by verse. We're going into, we're not trying to get ahead of ourselves and all of those sorts of things. We're not uh, trying to blow past anything. We're not trying to um, and hurry up and get done. Brothers and sisters, that's where we miss most of the stuff that we need when it comes to the word of God, because sometimes we, come, we approach the word of God um, with a mindset of what we think we feel or we feel we need to hear from God. So what happens is, is that sometimes we open up that word and we go on a quest, really, to uh, we go on a quest to find what we think we need. But and so as we start doing that, we start skipping and over pages, not necessarily um, reading everything. And before you know it, we, we, you, we've skipped over a lot of information, a lot of stuff. And and because we don't always pause and take time to hear what the word of the Lord is saying or to read those things that we're script, skipping over all on our quest to get what we think we need, we have no idea how much we're actually leaving on the table. There may be quite a few other things that God is actually trying to share with us. So we just got to slow down and take our time and, and not just, you know, bulldoze our way through the word of God. With an emphasis on verse number four, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And as I said before, that particular scripture there, uh, that particular scripture is, um, is from the, uh, uh, the English standard uh, version of that particular scripture. Okay. Um, so it reads us a little bit different, um, but the spirit of it is still true. Nonetheless. Amen. Now let's go ahead and continue. We look at, um, the different characteristics um, of godly goals. And we've come away with a lot of information on godly goals. Now we did say that godly goals are those goals or those desires that have God alone as the primary beneficiary when the goal is accomplished or completed or achieved, okay? So the accomplishing of the goal is strictly for the glory of God, all right? That's what, a, that's what we defined, uh, uh, that's our working definition for godly goals. We also said that while this is true, godly goals can also have a God-centered component to them. And Psalms 27, verse number four, actually is an example of that, which we are getting into. When it came to defining this concept of God-centered goals, we said that they are those goals or desires where we are the primary beneficiary in addition to God. So it's not just God to benefit from it, but we, but there's something that we um, benefit from it also as well. We get something out of it, okay? Um, we get the prize, so to speak, at the end of the goal um, of the goal and uh, God gets the continued praise and acknowledgement for the accomplishment of that goal. So where we come to the Lord, we ask God to do something. We have this prayer of supplication or request. We've come boldly before the Lord. We're asking God to do something, do something, and it hasn't a benefit for us. There's something that we want him to do for us because we want or need or need something. But he also, but in the process of that, okay, God going through that and blessing us, amen, when he goes in and, and he blesses us um, um, as a result of accomplishing that goal, we then turn around and give God the praise. We turn around and give God the glory. So that's what we mean when we're talking about a God-centered goals or God-centered components to goals. They're those desires or those goals where we also benefit. It's not just God. We have a benefit, right? Um, but, but, but at the end of the, the road or after the accomplishment, we then turn around and we praise and we glorify God. Okay. And that's what you should do brothers and sisters. When God gives something to you, does something for you, you and I ought to praise and worship God. Why? Cause we didn't get it on our own. We didn't do this on our own. And there are a whole lot of people that missed so many opportunities to praise and worship God. Why? Because they think they're doing this thing on their own. Let me serve notice to somebody today, or let me remind someone today, or let me enlighten someone today. You didn't get here on your own, and you don't, and and you're not going to stay here on your own. God is the absolute reason for every season in your life. Whether you rise, fall, listen. God is there from start to finish, from top to bottom. It is God that was there at the very beginning. He's standing there in the midst of it. And you know what? When this thing is all said and done, he's going to be right there at the end. The word of God says heaven and earth shall pass away. Notice 
heaven and earth shall pass away. When we say earth, that deals with us. Not just, <laughs> not just the things that you see, but that's, 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 that deals with us. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but not my word. Not my word. And the last time I checked, the Gospel of John tells us that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word what? Was God. So God is his, his word. So when he says heaven and earth shall pass away, but not his word, what is he telling you? He is saying that everything else is going to be gone. Everything else can disappear. Everything else will go away. But when it's all said and done, God is saying, I'm going to be standing right here. Glory to God. And I don't know about you, but that actually is very comforting to know that God is standing there at the very end. He's there with us. He's there um, for us. And we, we learned, so we learned about these, um, these God-centered, the, these uh, this concept of godly goals, and then the concept of God-centered goals. And I want you to keep those things in your mind. I want you to keep those close to you. Now, when we ended last week, we ended um, in verse four, where David says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Okay. Now I gave you a few words to, uh, to, uh, to consider and to keep in mind. I'm going to quickly go over those briefly, go over those. And then we're going to uh, deep dive uh, into uh, what God has for us as we continue with it. So one of the words that I asked you guys to keep in mind last week was the word dwell. Amen. Okay. Keep in mind the word dwell. Okay. And when we look at the word dwell, Okay, it means to it's a it's a verb. Okay, so it's an it's an action word, and it really means in essence to inhabit or to live in or be a habitant, inhabitant of. Okay, so when we think of that word dwell, it, 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 think of living in. Okay, thinking of, think of residing in a particular place. I also ask you guys to keep in mind the phrase um, to continue. Okay, because this is wording that is often used in this is wording that is often used uh, in the scripture. Okay, to continue. And when you see it, this verb phrase or this action phrase to continue, amen. Okay, means really to continue in a certain state, as you can see on your screen, or you should see on your screen, a condition or activity. And really, the bottom line of this, and what I really want you to keep in mind is, is that when you see that phrase to continue, oftentimes when it's used, it is synonymous or it can be used interchangeably with the word dwell. Okay, so they pretty much mean the same thing or the same concept. Okay, of abiding in something is is uh, inherent within both of them. But what's interesting is is that to continue in also brings in the not just the um, not just continuing or abiding or inhabiting a certain place, but it also brings in the concept of the state. Look, uh, look at that that definition again of to continue means to continue in a certain state or condition or activity. So that means, so that broadens the horizon. It broadens the scope because it takes it beyond the landscape of just where you actually physically lay down roots or where you camp or where you reside, but it also brings in your behavior. It brings in your actions. It brings in the way that you live, okay? And so when we talk about dwelling and we talk about continuing, we're talking about living in and abiding in or staying in a, not just a, a, a physical place, so to speak, but really a state or a condition or an activity. 
So you really can be getting into a state of mind or a state of operating. So that's another thing that you want to keep in mind. The other word that I ask you guys to keep in mind is the word uh, temple. Okay. Amen. And um, I ask you guys to keep in mind the word uh, temple. And when we look at it, um, because the David says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. And in this case, if you were to kind of break this word down and really just kind of uh, dig into um, really just really kind of dig into into that into that word um, temp or house, it means temple. OK, so these words are really uh, interchangeable. OK, the temple, especially in this case or the house is understood not to be your house, okay, necessarily. So we're not talking about where I live, my address. We're not getting into that. The house being referenced here is really talking about the residency of God. So wherever God is, amen, okay? So David, what do we, when, we, when we tie that together, we bring that in. David wanted, in essence, to dwell, okay, in God's house or in his presence or Wherever God is, is where David wanted to dwell. He said, God, wherever you are, the scripture says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. When we get into this part, now we're starting to get into that God-centered component to this request, okay? Because we said that God-centered goals can have a God-centered um, components to them, or godly goals, rather, can have God-centered um components to them. And this particular scripture is one of those scriptures where it is a godly goal, but it also is a benefit to the one who's requesting. So there's a benefit to David. So there is this God-centered component because we've already learned that when it comes to these goals, we've learned a couple things already. We learned that when it comes to goals, goals have to be focused. Amen. One thing have I desired. Okay. We learned that they are sourced from God. We got to know where they come from. One thing I have a desire of the Lord, of the Lord tells us the source of that, okay? We also, we also learned that they require action or work. You're not going to just be able to just sit there and not do anything, okay? That will I seek after. So one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. And then we got to this part of this God-centered component to it, amen? that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, okay? Now, David wants to dwell in God's house or in his presence. So wherever God is, this is where David wants to be, amen? Let's dig into that. Let's talk a little bit about that, okay? Because when we get to the New Testament, things start to get a little bit interesting, amen? right? We know David's talking about dwelling in the presence or in the house of God, wherever God is. But as soon as we start getting into the New Testament, then things start to take on another dynamic or another layer gets added to it. Amen. God, when we get to the New Testament, teaches us that we are the temple of God. Amen. Glory to God. The word of God teaches us that we are the temple of God. So for those of you who have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Man, it's good stuff. Good stuff this morning. Good stuff. 
God teaches us that we are the temple of God. Amen. And he teaches us in 1 Corinthians 3.16, know ye not that ye are, what? The temple of God. And the, that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now we're going to tie all this stuff together. So now David says, I want to dwell in God's presence. I want to dwell in his house. And the word house is also the word temple. Amen. Glory to God. Watch how we're going to turn, tie all this stuff together. He says, I want to dwell in the house. I want to dwell in the temple. I want to be where God is. I want to be where he is. But then when you get to the New Testament, the word of God begins to take on or add another dynamic to all of this. He then tells us in Corinthians 3.16 that we are the temple. So in essence, he says, we are the house. We are all of that. Now, watch this. Turn to John chapter 15. Glory to God. And I want you to look at verse four. We're going to look at verse four. We're going to look at five, six, and seven. So we're going to look through four through seven, okay? So in Corinthians, we learned that we are the temple of God. But when we get to, but when we get to, amen, when we get to, um, uh, when we get to, to Corinthians, we learn that not only are we the, not only are we the temple of God, but God dwells in us. That's what the scripture, that's what the scripture teaches us. Okay. That we not only are we in the temple, are we the temple of God, but God dwells in us. Now, when you get to, uh, to John, the gospel of John 15, four through seven, Bible says this abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. So you can't be fruitful. You can't be prosperous. You can't accomplish what God has for you unless you are abiding in him. And abide means dwell, okay? So abiding here means dwell. So we're really bringing in all of these words. Verse number five, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Look at God. Look at Jesus putting it all together, telling us exactly how this thing works. Notice what he said. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He set the record straight right there. And some of us got to learn that you are not God. God is God all by himself. And when you have situations, brothers and sisters that come up, you got to stop trying to be God in them situations. You got to go to God and let God be God. Amen. Many of us run into unnecessary stuff. Why? Because we're trying to do God's part. Brothers and sisters, when are we going to let God do what he does best? When you go to God presenting your case saying, Lord, I need. I want to tell you that God is absolutely trustworthy. You can rest assured that as long as you don't have no shadiness and you're not living in sin and doing nothing crooked and all that kind of stuff, and then you take your request and you, your petition and you bring that before the Lord. And you listen, when you bring it before the Lord, plan on, make a plan to entrust it to the Lord, that not only am I bringing it, but I am going to give it. I am going to give God whatever it is that I have brought with me. So if I need I have a situation, a circumstance, or, a, a, or whatever is going on, 
I am coming to God, not just to tell God about that situation. Lord, I'm in trouble. Lord, I, I got this going on and this, that, and the other. That, that, that's good. That, that's, that's good. But, but don't just come to tell God about your situation. When you come before the Lord, he who has given you access and permission to come boldly before him, when you come before the Lord with your situation, why don't you plan on leaving that situation with him in addition to telling him about it? Because here it is. If you would have been able to do something about it, you would have already done it. But you can't. I can't. There are some things that are just beyond what you and I can do. But there is absolutely nothing that is too hard for God Almighty. Listen, I might fail before I start, but as soon as God gets involved, that's a game changer. See, when God gets involved, that turns it all around. So, so be mindful of the wording of the scripture. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Telling you straight up, he's the source. That's what he says. He is the source and you are the recipient from the source. You, you, you are blessed by the source, but you yourself, you are not the source. And some of us got to stop trying to be the source. And we need to settle in on the fact that guess what? We are recipients of God's grace. So partake of God's grace the way he has designed. Verse number seven, six says, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire. And what? They are burned. Verse number seven. Make note of this. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, keep in mind, when we're talking about abide, we are still dealing with that concept of dwell. Amen. Amen. When he's talking about his word abiding you, that's talking about the word dwelling in you and not just dwelling, not just there for the sake of being there, but it is in operation in your life. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Brothers and sisters, there are more people praying and asking God amiss because of this right here. This right here is a hang up for many people. This is the reason why so many people are coming to the Lord, beseeching the Lord, requesting of the Lord, and it seems like they get no answer, no movement, no traction. You got to understand, number one, God is not on your timetable. Amen. We know and we and we should all know that. So God is going to move when he moves. God is not governed by time. Keep that in mind. God governs time, but he himself is not governed by time. God owns time. God controls time. Amen. Glory to God. God controls all of that. Okay. Now, God is, himself is not governed by time. So when God shows up, when God moves after I've prayed, because he is not governed by time, it can show up whenever. He's not governed by time. It might manifest at 3 p.m. It might manifest at 12 a.m. It don't matter. When God moves because he's not governed by time, it shows up in time. But for him, he's not restricted by it. But what you can always count on is, is that though God is not governed by time and moves whenever he wants to, 
The answer is going to always show up right on time. God is never late. <laughs> Glory to God. That's one of those mysteries, but it's a beautiful one. But notice the word says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. We pray and ask amiss because when we start asking God, the prerequisites, those preconditions are not met. What is that? His words is not abiding in you. And when you have the word of God abiding in you, it means that they're operating in you and it means that they are being acted upon by you. In other words, brothers and sisters, what we're simply saying is, is that when the words abide in you, there is obedience. The word abiding in you, the word of God cannot abide in you if you're not doing what it is. If you're not doing what the word says, the word is not abiding in you. Amen. Amen. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, this is heavy and we need to keep this in mind. Glory to God. We need to keep this in mind because he says, if ye abide in me. So the, the prerequisite for me being, being able to come and ask God for something and being able to have uh, the expectation that God is going to perform it is that God's got to be, is that I have to be abiding in him. But in order for me to abide in him, his words got to abide in me. Now, look at, I want you to look at, uh, according to, I want you to, to, I want you to look at uh, John 15, 4 and 7 again, okay? In order for God to abide or dwell in us, we must first abide and dwell in him. It, you can't have, you cannot have a, this thing where, where, where I, see, sometimes we say, we, we, we say, well, I have the word, I'm abiding in, in the Lord, okay? But we don't understand that what constitutes abiding in the Lord. Obedience is what constitutes abiding in the Lord. We abide in Christ by way of obedience to the word of God. Amen. Now I want you to turn to the, to the epistle for, of 1 John. Okay. I want you to look at verse um, 16. 1 John. I want you to look at verse 16. Because we're going to tie all this together. 1 John. Chapter 4. Verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. Notice the next wording here. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. God is love. And if we, brothers and sisters, dwell in that love, we dwell in God. Now, in order to dwell or abide in love, because now we got to bring something else in. I want you to go to, to John, the gospel. Look at chapter 14. And I want you to look at verse 15, because we just learned God is love. Amen. And if we abide in that love, okay, if we abide in if we abide in that love, amen, 
then we dwell in God. And the way we abide in God is through obedience. And that's what we're establishing here. Now, when you turn to John and you look at chapter 14 and you look at verse 15, the Bible says this, if ye love me, this is Jesus talking, keep my commandments. What's that? Obedience. If you love me, first and foremost, he says, keep my commandments. Obedience. Now I want you to look at John 15. Go to the next chapter. Amen. And I want you to go to verse number nine. And we're going to look at nine and 10. Okay. Amen. Glory to God. This is good this morning. Amen. 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 Because first John 4 and 16 told us that, you know what I'm saying? He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him, because the word told us right in that very same scripture that God is love. Then when we get to John 14, 15, Jesus tells us that if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. That's that obedience. But now we're in John 15. I want you to look at verse. I want you to look at verse nine and 10. And the Bible says this, as the father hath loved me, amen. So have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. What does he mean? Continue. He means to abide. Remember, we talked about to continue. He's telling you to dwell. He says, I want you to continue. He said, as the father hath loved me, so have I loved you. And then he gives some instruction. He says, continue in my love. In other words, abide in my love, dwell in my love. He's telling you to continue in that state, continue in that condition, continue in that activity. But then we look, look, at, look at how he adds an extra layer to it when we get to verse number 10. If ye keep my commandments, notice the wording. He didn't say your commandments. He didn't say anybody else's commandments. He did not say the commandments of somebody else. I want you to understand what, hear what I'm telling you. He didn't say, don't keep, he didn't say the layman's commandments. He didn't say the pastor, the this, the that, the deacons. He didn't say nobody. He didn't, no, he said my commandments. Why? Because every office in the, that is given for the church, they are all responsible for keeping God's commandments. Listen, the church only got one rule set. There's only one doctrine set. That is what the word of God. And everybody, regardless of what their role is, must line up to the rule set or to the doctrine of God. Everybody got to keep what the word says. Everybody must obey the holy scriptures. Everybody must obey the Bible. And God sets it straight right here, making it so that you can't get this, mis mis this mis misunderstood or confused with anything else. He said, if you keep my commandments. So many people are messed up because you're keeping somebody else's commandments. You're doing what somebody else said, and you are not checking what they are telling you to do against what the word says. Brothers and sisters, do you not know that it does not matter how familiar you are with the person? It doesn't matter how, how close they are to you. And it does not matter how, how much you believe they are in the word. Don't you take anything that anybody gives you about the word at face value. You check it out for yourself. Examine the word. It does not matter how trustworthy I might sound. 
Doesn't matter how I might seem or, or appear as though I know the word of God and I'm in the word of God. Listen, I have a human nature like you have a human nature. And the, and, and, and the reality of a human nature is that sin resides in it. The human nature on its own is corrupted. It is fallen and it is prone to mistakes. Therefore, the best thing that you can do when you're listening to me, Brother Walker, or anybody else, is take what I'm saying and line it up to the word of God. Double check it. Double check that thing. Don't take anything at face value. Don't you follow what anybody says. I don't care if they're your pastor. I don't care if they uh, I don't care if they're your teacher. I don't care if, whatever you want to call it. God told you to follow him. God told you to follow him. You are on the hook for what he said. Listen, the man of God may not preach every single scripture as you are listening. What am I saying? The man of God, the teacher in your life may not cover every single scripture in the Bible. But do you not know that whether the man of God teaches you on every single scripture or preaches on every single scripture, do you not know that you yourself are on the hook for every word, whether he went over it or not? That's why you got to be in the word. Verse 10 said, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Remember what we said. Remember what we said. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. That's that obedience. But then the, then the epistle of John said, and we have known and believe the Lord that God, that God hath to us. We believe, we believe the love, excuse me, that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. We're talking about abiding. God is planting the entire picture of how it is that you can abide in him. And John, the epistle of John, six, uh, verses four, chapter four, verse 16, tells us that God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. Amen. And then when we get to John 15, 19, 15 verses nine through 10, we're specifically looking at verse number 10, um, um, spe specifically looking at verse number 10, the word of God then tells us, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. So now he's telling us, not only do we now know that God is love and that we abide in him when we abide in that love, but now he's telling you how to do that. He says, ye shall abide. He says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to abide in him. And the way we abide in him is by way of obedience. And the way and what specifically he's asking us to do in order for us to abide in him, which is the same as abiding or dwelling in his love, Verse number 10 tells us in John 15 that we have to keep his commandments. Amen. Amen. 
Glory to God. We abide in God and he abides in us. But when you look at the context of the scripture, in John 15, verse number four, the Lord says, abide in me and I in you. Notice what he says. He don't tell you that he's going to abide in you first. Uh-uh. He tells you that you first have to abide in him. And that's why you have to understand that the way that we abide, how we actually abide in him. Because why? The prerequisite for abiding in God or to begin this process of abiding in God is by way of obedience. Why is that heavy, brothers and sisters? Because when the word of God tells you abide in me, this is John 15, four through, uh, four through seven, or actually four through 10 now. The Lord says, abide in me. He tells you first to abide in him. And then he says, and I in you. He says, you abide, he says, you abide in me. Now, because he uses the analogy of the branches and he's the vine, what he's really saying here is, is this, you gotta, as a branch, you gotta connect to me. You got to connect to me, okay? You connect to me and then I will provide because he's the vine, he's the source. I will provide the nourishment. I'll provide the sustenance. I'll provide what you actually need. But he tells you that you have to abide in him first. Abide in me and I in you. Brothers and sisters, you, we must always be aware that abiding in lo the Lord is done by way of obedience. Why? Because a lot of people think that they got to be saved first before they can start doing what God said. No, -uh. you got to start doing what God said before you get saved. Before you, why? Because the process of salvation requires obedience. They are steps that you have to follow. Glory to God. You've got to repent of your sins. You can't be saved without having first repented of your sins. You have got to be, you have got to be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible is, is very plain. Wasn't nobody baptized in the, in the titles? Uh-uh. Well, no, there was nobody baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. How were they done? How did they do it? You read the book of Acts, and you're going to find that they were baptized in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's how it was done. And God asked us to follow the pattern. you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. These are steps that all are taken in obedience. In order to be saved, I have to first be obedient. It is when I become obedient that I begin to operate or I then I begin to abide. Amen. Glory to God. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand because a lot, I've met a lot of people who really, who who think that, you know, well, I got to get, I, I, you know what, I got to wait till God get me right first before I can, no, 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 no. God, listen, there might be some things that you can't do, but there are some things that you can do. Number one, you can look over your life and you can take inventory of who you are, where you have come from, what you have gone through, and you can be broken over sin. And you need to be that because that is where true repentance comes from. 
It is when you take inventory of your life, where you have been, what you have gone through, and you look at the hot mess that has been you, and you own who you are. You own the fact that you are fallen. You own the fact that you are not right. You own the fact that you are not clean. You own up to all those things, and you become broken over those things. True repentance requires a heart that is broken over sin. You can't somewhere and somehow be okay, secretly, secretly okay with sin and doing these things that you know are not right. These things that you know break God's heart. You can't secretly be okay with that. If you're going to be saved according to the Bible, if you're going to follow the process that the Bible has laid out, you've got to be broken over your sin. And if you are saved already, and you drop the ball. Listen, God is not getting ready to continue to bless you while you're sinning and doing things. No. Repentance still applies. You got to be broken over sin. And broken over sin really means seeing sin and unrighteousness the way that God sees it. See, when God sees sin, you know what he doesn't do? Doesn't make an excuse for it. When God sees sin, you know what he does not do? He doesn't try to explain it away. When You know, when God sees sin, you know what he does not do? He doesn't try to justify it. He doesn't come up with excuses. He doesn't come up with fairy tales. He doesn't tell himself this, that, and the other and try to make sin be something other than what it is. Sin, as the Bible teaches, is transgression of the law, which means it is the breaking of the law. Amen. That is what the word of God teaches. And God, when he sees sin, he sees it for what it is. The first step for us is, is that if we're going to get right, if we're going to be right, if we're going to stay right, you got to stop playing with sin. You got to stop pretending that doing the wrong thing is okay. Sometimes people think that the ends, you know, saying, you know, saying that the that that you know, that the ends justify the means, but that's not true. That is not true. Sin is still sin, and if you die in sin, you are going to hell. You're not going. Listen, there there ain't gonna be no layover flight. There ain't gonna be no. There ain't gonna be no stop someplace. Ain't gonna be no purgatory. None of that. None of that. Ain't gonna be no place for you to. Oh, you know what? I didn't get that worked out. So I'm gonna be in this temporary spot, and I'm a God's gonna let me work out these. No, no, you're not. No, you are not. You're going straight to hell. That's where you're going. That is where you are going. If you live in sin, you gonna die in sin. And the wages of sin is still death. It's still death. But aren't you glad that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus? You got to abide in him. He says, you abide in me. He says, I, he says, he, he teaches us very, very plainly that God is love. And he that dwelleth in love, that's the one who dwells in him. You want to abide in him? You got to dwell in love. But how do I dwell in love? How do I dwell in love? That's what the next scripture told us. Well, Jesus started out, he said, listen, if you love me, then keep my commandments. That's the first step. You got to turn your mind, you got to set your mind so that it says, I am going to do what the word of God says. Brothers and sisters, you got to stop planning to fail. You got to stop planning to, to just get by. And you got a plan to be successful in the Lord. 
But you don't plan it. You don't plan it of your own strength. Because remember, we're talking about godly goals. And being successful in the Lord is a good goal, is a good godly goal. But you are not going to achieve it on your own. And you are certainly not going to achieve it by your own strength. Why? Because that godliness requires holiness. And we'll get to that in a minute. And that too also comes from God. But you've got to, he tells us, listen, you got to dwell in me. And I got to dwell in you. And the way you dwell is abiding in his love. And the way that you abide in his love is by keeping his commandment. John 15 and 10, if you keep my commandments. Amen, glory to God. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. You dwell in the love of God by way of obedience. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, the next characteristic of godly goals, as we move a little bit forward from here, is, is that godly goals require commitment. Amen. Notice the language of the scripture. Amen. Go back to Psalms 27. Look at verse number four. I want you to notice the language of the scripture because this is really, really, really good. The fifth characteristic of godly goals is that they require commitment. The word of God says, one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Look at this next phrase, all the days of my life, all the days of my life. Now, here's a word that I want you guys to know, be a word. So if you're taking your notes, um, take this down. I want you to take down the word commitment, okay? commitment. Now, we I get some people asking, well, you know, well, you know, Brother Walker, we, you, when you give these words, I could just look this up in the dictionary. Yes, you can, and that you can look it up in a dictionary, but for those of you who are, who, who, who do that, you also want to make sure that you have uh, Bible dictionaries as well, okay, because the same sense is not always um, consistent between um, today's dictionary, modern dictionary, all right, and then a dictionary that is based off of original language and those sorts of things. So make sure when you're looking that up, this is just a tip for you, for those of you to help you in your Bible study if you are not already doing that or are not used to that or no one has ever told you to that. When you start defining words in the Bible, you cannot just use a secular uh, dictionary or world dictionary or today's modern dictionary. No, no, no. You also need a dictionary Okay, you need a dictionary that gets back and deals with original a language that will display and care and um, um, highlight the senses of the word. So make sure that you have both of them. Don't rely on just a uh, regular um, today's modern dictionary because that will only get you so far. You want to get back and get down to the original language so you can get a better understanding of some of these things. And then keep in mind this. And then even after you defined it, I want you to keep in mind the author is still alive. Okay. So you still that you can't just define God's word and then walk away talking about you know what it is. No, you don't. You got to talk to God in prayer. Prayer and study go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. In fact, don't even open up your, your, your dictionary before you've prayed. 
And when you're done opening up your dictionary, make sure you pray after that and ask God to tighten up your understanding and make some things clear, okay? Because God re always reserves the right to, uh, to expound on his word. And if you include God in your studying, expound he will. God will absolutely expound on his word. Now, word I want you to know, and we're basing it from this, because uh, remember we said this fifth characteristic is that of commitment. Word is commitment. Now, what is this commitment? It's a state of personal, when we talk about commitments, commitment basically means a state, okay, of personal dedication to something or someone, which results in actively promoting and working for their good and well-being. I'm gonna read that part again. A state of personal dedication to something, that's what it means to be committed, okay? personal dedication to something or someone, which, but, but not just dedication for the sake of dedication. No, it actually results in something. It results in actively promoting and working for their good and well-being. Okay. Amen. So the concept of that, um, really, you can look at uh, John 14, 15, where the Lord tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments, okay? When you're committed to the Lord, okay, you're going to, it's going to motivate you to do something. When you're committed to something, there's going to be some action or there's going to be some acts that follow, all right? Amen. Now, let's take it a little bit further because when we take the concept of commitment and then we um, apply it to God Almighty, all right? Uh, commitment to God then arises from faith in his promises, okay? And it's expressed, this faith is often expressed, it's in, in worship and adoration. And I love that, and it leads to obedience to his command. So when we take commitment and we apply commitment to God, or we talk about commitment from the perspective of God, then what it means to be commitment, then, then what it actually means or what we're talking about, we're saying that commitment to God really arises from faith in his promises. And it, that faith in his promises, that belief in his promises, it's expressed in worship and adoration. And because obviously, remember, faith without works is dead, then obviously it also leads to obedience to his commands because you can't have true faith outside of obedience. See, obedience is, 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 is you notice you just can't get away from obedience. <laughs> Glory to God. We've been talking about it all this morning. You just absolutely cannot get away from obedience. Obedience, you, listen, you can't dwell in God without obedience. You can't have true faith without obedience. Obedience is quintessential. It's, it is a cornerstone. It is a cornerstone, obedience. Your faith is not even real if, there, if it doesn't have obedience because faith without works or obedience, faith without works is dead, being alone. That's what the book, the epistle of John of, of James tells. It's dead. It, 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 it's lifeless. It's nothing. You can't dwell in God. You can't have faith in God. You, all of these things that God noticed, <laughs> all of these things that God tells and wants us to do. He wants us to have faith. Amen. He wants us to believe and he wants us to abide. He wants us to be all of these things, brothers and sisters. Notice how all of the things that God 
wants us to do has a component that you are involved in or has an action step for you and I. And that action step is consistently obedience. Notice it has not changed. We have talked about several different things and the action step has been consistent in every one of them. That action step is obedience. Brothers and sisters, you are not going to have God without obedience. You are not going to prosper in the Lord without obedience. You are not going to get anywhere in obedience. Your ministry ain't going nowhere without obedience. Do you hear what I'm saying? Your good works gonna fall flat. Why? You don't have no obedience. You've got to do it God's way. Amen. Amen. And it's good to know that about this obedience because this obedience is a reflection or reflects our commitment. In other words, it establishes, it says I am committed. It shows that I am committed. It shows that I'm sold out for the Lord. It shows that I'm on God's side. It shows that I want to be, oh, I want to be where God is. I want to do, I want to be, I, I, I want to be thoroughly and absolutely pleasing to God. I want to be committed. And so I must be obedient. Amen. Glory to God. Let's look at this a little bit further. God, when we start talking about commitment, do you not know that God actually commands commitment? Amen. Look at Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse nine. Now, therefore, know therefore that the Lord, thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him. And what? Keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I love that part. Notice what he says and keep, he says to them who keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now that doesn't just mean that God is faithful to a thousand generations, although it does mean that, but there's another meaning also in that. When you look at that, who can't notice the word, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him. Now he's talking about those who love him and he's describing them. What is it about those that love him, okay? Those that love him and what? Keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So what he's saying is those that love him and keep his commandment. Now, when he adds a thousand generations, not only is he telling us that God is faithful to thousands of generations, to generations after generations, and we read that plainly in the scripture, but what he's talking about as it applies to you and I is that he's telling you that it applies to them who keep his commandments and keep on keeping his commandments. Glory to God. That's what's so heavy about that part. He says, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that keep, who does he keep covenant with? Who does he keep mercy with? Who does he honor his covenant with? Who does he show mercy to? He shows it to the person that loves him and keeps his commandment to a thousand generations, which basically means he shows it to the person who loves him, who keeps his commandment and who keeps on keeping his commandment. Glory to God. Glory to God. Don't you just love God's word? I love God's word, how he just makes it so plain and just puts it all right there. God says, you know, I keep covenant. God says, I show mercy and I show it to that person that loves me. But who is that person that I love? That's the person that keeps the commandment 
and keeps on keeping God's commandments. Brothers and sisters, you can't, you got to stay in the race. You got to stay in the race. And I know it gets hard sometimes, but I'm telling you, God is faithful. God going to keep doing what he said he's going to do. But there's a prerequisite. You got to do what he told you to do. See, there are some things that God does that God has done that don't require anything from you. But he's already done that. What was that? He made salvation. You couldn't save yourself. God did that. So he went to the cross. He went to the cross and, and paid for crimes that he didn't commit. He was the one that rose on the third day with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. He was the one that went away. He was the one that opened the door to salvation. He's the one that did all that. You and I couldn't do that. God did that. God did that. All for us. But then there are some, but after he did that, God initiated, but then he passed the ball to you. God said, I took the first shot. God says, but now you got to take the second one. What's the second one? Obedience. God says, now you got to do something. God says, I have already, I have made a good step forward. God says, I have come, I, I started it off. But now I need you to do your part. Why? Because the just live by faith, brothers and sisters. We walk by faith. So it only makes sense that God would give you and I a step. What is that step? That step is obedience. 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 David said, I want to dwell right where you are, God. In the house forever. I want to be in that. I want, I want to dwell in that house. But then Corinthians told us, well, wait a minute, you are that house. You are that house. So you don't have to go that far. You don't have to go that far. God is right there. God is right there. You can dwell with the Lord and you can be in his presence. But you're not going to do that full of sin and unrighteousness. Amen. Glory to God. Next week, when we continue, we'll break down even further this concept of commitment. We'll really dive into that, into commitment. And then we're also going to talk about holiness. Amen. I'm excited about that. I hope you are as well. Yeah.